John, we have some New York prospects who are really shining so far in spring training. Yeah, I mean, the, the injuries have been a bit of a downer for the Mets and particularly the Yankees in spring training, but uh, some great prospects, two for each team, Mauricio and Beatty with the Mets and with the Yankees, Volpe and Dominguez. It really made this spring very special. And boy, Volpe looks really, really good and ready. Yeah, and we'll talk how ready, where these prospects fit in for 2023. Our guest president of baseball operations for the Twins, Derek Falvey, will talk Gallo, Correa, Donaldson. John and I will play hit and error at the end. That's if you stick with us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. John, as we're talking here, the World Baseball Classic is about mid-tournament. It's going to be zooming towards your home state. You're going to be at the final, uh, the semis and the finals, I believe, in Miami uh, once it it gets there. Uh, What do you think of the tournament so far? Yeah, I'm loving it. I love all the upsets. Can't believe Australia advanced, Italy advanced. We saw Israel get a victory. We saw Mexico beat the United States. So, you know, I'm up at 6 a.m. watching it. I come home, I watch it at 6 p.m. I think it's terrific. The players are obviously very enthusiastic. I know some Yankees are disappointed not to be there, and the guys who are there look very, very excited to be there. We have an all-star lineup. Obviously, we don't have our very best pitchers, which puts us in kind of a dicey situation. It looks like Japan's probably got the best team just because they've got that great pitching. But uh, certainly Venezuela, Puerto Rico, Dominican, all good as always. A little worried about our team uh, based on the pitching. Obviously, the hitting is great, but uh, I love it so far. Yeah, you talk about March Madness. We got some brackets busted early. Uh, this year, right? Italy and Australia are moving on. I don't think anybody had them in the one sixteen matchup. Uh, Great Britain won a game. Uh, that that's uh, I think uh, shocking. Uh, I think the only major leaguer on the team is Trace Thompson, uh, who's most famous for being you know Clay's brother, as opposed to you know uh, an outfielder for the for the Dodgers. And John, again, just the tournament is going to get to you. I think it's quarterfinals, semifinals, finals uh, are like one quarterfinals in Miami. And then the semis and the finals are completely in Miami. And I do think that as much as we're going to be focused on the United States and clearly the Dominican because of their lineup, the coming attraction of the Japanese team, just because I think over the next few years, we're going to see, uh, you know, I think next offseason – 
Uh, Yamamoto, uh, one of the better pitchers. I think he's won a couple of their versions of the Cy Young is going to come. Roki Sasaki, who I think is just 20 years old. He pitched the perfect game last year, then eight perfect innings and got taken out. He's considered one of the best pitchers in the world. When I was recently in Arizona, people were talking about like waiting for him to come. And then, uh, you know, Marakami, the left-hand hitting third baseman, who's kind of was their judge last year, set the record uh, for the league for home runs in a, in a season. So it's a little bit of, hey, we're going to really focus on some teams, but that U.S.-Japan potential final would really be something because we not only see a great game probably if we get it, if we get it because of all the all the bracket busting going on, but also a little bit of an appetizer for what might be coming to the States. Yeah, that's a big if, though, with our, our pitching. Obviously, give all the guys credit who consented to do it, and they're good pitchers. I mean, Michaelis is a good pitcher. Wainwright, out, outstanding career, obviously, at the end of the career, but give him credit for going, and Martinez, and all these guys. And certainly, we have a very good bullpen, but I think our top 12 pitchers are not there. So I'm not counting on us being in the final. If we're not in it, I hope people are still interested in this country, that Japan team spectacular Murakami has not done it so far but uh Yoshida who's their number five hitter uh and was assigned by the Red Sox people thought they overpaid he looks fantastic and obviously any chance you see Otani uh it's just a treat I mean the guy is clearly the best all-around player in the world I mean people could make a case for Trout or Judge but all around uh we've never seen anything like this he pitched great he hit great and uh you know, I, I do anticipate Japan going very, very far. As you said, you've got Otani, you've got Darvish, you've got Yamamoto. Their pitching is just uh, really a, a step above everybody else. Yeah, you know, it's great how Otani embraces it all. I hope at some point he gets to the playoffs here, and we we, we see that in the, the major leagues. And you talked about pitchers not there. And give him credit because he's, he's going to be a free agent. You know, a lot of guys with $500 million on the line or more – uh, probably wouldn't risk going out and pitching and throwing. He was throwing 100 miles an hour in his outing. So, uh, you know, he loves the game. He's not about money. And, you know, I can only say good things about Otani. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned pitchers not there. You're you're sitting in Tampa, this hostage video where I could see your refrigerator in the back if you see us on the Yes app or wherever you How's might see used? us. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, it's uh, uh, you're in Tampa. Uh, you talk about pitchers not used. The Yankees already know. Uh, they're going to begin the season without Carlos Rodon, their big signing of the offseason, without Frankie Montas, their big trade last July, without a couple of relievers, uh, uh, a signing again this offseason, Tommy Conley, Lou Trevino, who was in that trade with Montas. John, are the Yankees in a little trouble to begin this year? Another trade? Harrison Bader, he's not going to open the season in center field. Uh, what do you think about the current state of the New York Yankees? Well, they still have a very good team, but wow, well, that was a disappointing day uh, a few days ago when Cashman was reading off the list of injuries and didn't even include Bader. And then uh, Boone in the afternoon revealed that Bader has that oblique uh, situation, which now they're estimating as six weeks. So we really don't know who the center fielder is at this point. Don't really know who the four, or at least they haven't said who the four and five starters are. I assume Herman is one of them potentially Clark Schmitz, the other. So certainly the injuries have put them at a deficit. I do not, I know Severino really wanted to be pitching in that uh, WBC. I don't blame the Yankees for in discouraging him from doing so. I mean, at full strength, if uh, Severino is your number four starter, you're in a great position and uh, they obviously have a good bullpen as well. Uh, but 
Yeah, I'm a little concerned right now about uh, some of their injuries. You know, John, uh, we're, our guest uh, on the show today is the president of baseball operations of the Twins, uh, Derek Falvey. And I was just thinking about their, the, the, the remnants. The Yankees have done a terrible job of acquiring players. I think you could say from the trade deadline of 20 forward where, with Joey Gallo, who's in Minnesota now, with Donaldson and Isaiah kind of for and Ben Rothford, who's hurt again, who we've never seen play. And Donaldson's just a large contract has kept them. So many of the players I just mentioned, right? Montas, Trevino, Bader, Rodon, Conley, they're guys that they've acquired recently. They haven't gone over. They traded for Jose Trevino last year, just before the season. They brought in Matt Carpenter as an out-of-nowhere free agent. It helped. Anthony Rizzo has been traded for and signed twice, though, again, his back you know, I know you talked to him, uh, I believe, yesterday as we're doing this show, and he keeps claiming it's not a big deal, but he misses time pretty much all the time every year because of the back. John, can a team just keep making one bad move after the other for a 24-month period, and even with Aaron Judge and Garrett Cole, be standing in a division as good as we think probably the AL East is going to be? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned those less heralded trades that Trevino has been unbelievable. He was the best catcher by metrics and by eyes last year in the big leagues. And, you know, they got him for very little. Uh, Carpenter was great last year for them. They got him for nothing uh, except for the money, which is nothing to the Yankees. So those less heralded moves they've been great at, it's the big moves they have not been great at, and they really... I'd rather it go the other way if I was in charge. I'd rather be really good at the big moves. I mean, I understand there's a lot of money involved, and there have been more heralded moves. They are the New York Yankees, so they make more big money moves. And yeah, to this point, uh, Donaldson obviously was not what they expected offensively last year, good defensively. It told me he wouldn't have come if he didn't think he could uh, do it again. And we will see so far it's a slow start for him in spring. And, you know, there are a lot of questions. I, a lot of it has to do with health though. You know, you wonder, you know, they certainly examined these guys and Cashman went over how closely they examined Montas before they acquired him. And then Montas admitted that uh, he was not really hundred percent when he was acquired you know, I he apparently didn't tell him that. You know, I guess guys don't like to say something like that if they have a chance to leave Oakland and go to the Yankees. Uh, you know, I think a lot of it has uh, been health. Some of it's been luck, but uh, you're right. And I'm glad you mentioned Cole and Judge because, uh, you know, I know Judge was, what, an 11-win player last year. I, I mean, you take Judge off that team from night when they won 99 games, uh, symbolically, the same as his number, uh, would they have won 88 games without Judge? I can't imagine. Uh, Judge and Cole, uh, having them are huge. You know, they make a big, big difference, and they make up for a lot of uh, issues and mistakes. Yeah, well, there's a lot of mistakes there. We're going to find out is if it was a mistake, the Mets signed Jose uh, Quintana. Uh, and, uh, you know, we now know that he's probably going to miss some significant time to begin the season with a with a rib injury. Um, the Mets haven't, at, at the time we're talking here, John, the Mets have not publicly said uh, how long that is. But I think when you and I previewed this, uh, you know, spring training a few weeks ago, we talked about age on the team slash rotation uh, concerns because there's age there and then where the depth is coming from. They do not have the injury concerns of the Yankees right now. But does a Cantana injury feel like a domino? And should the Mets be concerned? Yeah, I don't know about a domino, but I mean, he wasn't the guy we were thinking about. Obviously, they, their aces are 40 and a, I think around 38 for Scherzer. And Sango, we know, has some, at least according to the physical, has some has some issues. Uh, 
you know, so I think there is significant concern on the Mets uh, pitching side as well. I think it's great that they have Peterson. He's looked very good. They love uh, Tyler McGill and, uh, you know, see him as a good depth piece as well. But, you know, I hate to repeat the cliche that you never have enough pitching. I mean, you know, you got to think Scherzer and Verlander, you got to feel good about them. I mean, they've had great careers and they've generally been able to pitch through whatever ailments they've had and uh, should be okay. But, you know, there are always concerns in terms of pitching and uh, Quintana is a big loss. I mean, he was really good last year with both Pittsburgh and St. Louis. So uh, that's definitely to their detriment. But as I said, good thing Peterson's there. If they have no more injuries, I think they'll be okay. But uh yeah, Quintana, initial diagnosis, three months sidelined. And so it'll be longer than that by the time he ramps up. They're still checking and getting more opinions. I know this is taking a long time, but uh, I think that you have to have a fairly good idea at this point that it's certainly a significant amount of time. Yeah, you know, Quintana started game one of the playoffs for the Cardinals last year. He, as you pointed out, he had a very good year. It was not, it's not an insignificant loss. I'll, I'll let you in on the insight, John. It's one of the things I try to ask as I move from camp to camp. I was in Arizona last week. Is I do ask teams what their models have for teams uh, during the season. Like, where are the Mets? Where are the Yankees? Where are some other teams I'm interested in? And generally, generally, every other team have the Mets above 90, some at 95, 96, doing very well. One team had them in the low 80s. And I said to the person, can I guess why? And he said, yeah. And I said, their average age is going to be over 32 and your model hates age, right? And the person said, yes. And I said, I think your model is wrong because a lot of that age is in Verlander and Scherzer. And if you and I were just sitting and saying, what is the strength of the Mets? I would say that those guys are going to make 50 starts and be great, right? Like I don't see them. Of course, there's injury risk everywhere, but I would say those guys actually know how to stay healthy over the long season. And the last we saw both of them, they were great for goodness sakes. Verlander won the Cy Young. On the other side of age, John, is youth. And I know we wanted to speak about this because a lot of spring training is seeing these top prospects and how do we begin to feel about them. And the Mets and Yankees are both getting some real juice out of, let's let's give the four names, out of Anthony Volpe, out of Jason Dominguez, out of Ronnie Maurizio, and Brett Beatty. Why don't we start on the Yankees side of this? Because there is certainly a lot of push for them to put Volpe on the team this year. And look, you know, you, you'll find the crazy fan or two who thinks that Jason Dominguez should go from a ball to the major leagues because he has four homers so far in spring training. What do you think broadly about uh, where the Yankees are with that, the, that duo? First of all, if I was a team and I had a model with the Mets with 82 wins, I think I'd get a new model. They're, they're a much better team. They won 101 games last year and replaced the Grom with Verlander and uh, obviously signed Senga and did a lot of stuff. And they have a $364 million roster. I can't imagine what Steve Cohn's reaction will be if they win 82 games. Um, you know, in terms we'll of probably right about young, it, right? <laughs> I think so. You know, I'm here in Yankee camp. Volpe's been incredible. Uh, I would find based on what we've seen so far, and we still have a couple of weeks to go here, I would find a spot for him on the team. He looked great to me at second base. You know, I, I know that they've put out feelers on Gleyber Torres, and I checked in with the Rockies who lost Brendan Rodgers, and they seem like, you know, I don't either they don't have more money or they feel set. They signed Moustakis. Uh, I, I would find a way to put Volpe on the team. I, I mean, Peraza was good last year at shortstop, so I get it. If Peraza is the shortstop, it seems like IKF, he was looking around for an outfield glove uh, yesterday, and 
he was looking in the pitcher's lockers and uh, Nestor, Tor, Nestor uh, Cortez was kind of making fun of him. You're not going to find any outfield gloves here. But I, I, I have faith that, that IKF will be good as a utility man. And I, I don't want to say he's resigned to it, but I think people know what's going on around here, that one of the two young guys is going to get that job, and meaning Peraza or Volpe, and uh, that's probably the way it should be. I would find a spot for Volpe. I, I mean, I think everybody will be will feel bad about it, uh, not just emotionally. I think they'll feel like it's a waste if Volpe is in the minor leagues, based on what I've seen. Obviously, it's spring training. Obviously, it's two weeks to go. Dominguez has looked great. He wasn't good in the Arizona Fall League. He only played five games above Class A. He's not going to be the center fielder. They'll either put Judge there or they'll figure out a way. Ortega, they've got some kids in camp who've played center field before. They'll they'll figure out a different center fielder. But it, it is great to see Dominguez. He will be a star at the major league level, but not now, not at 20. Yeah, you know, the the, the thing I'll, I'll say about uh, Volpe is the Yankees doppelganger, and I just wanted to use that correctly in a podcast with you, is the Dodgers. And the Dodgers are showing a willingness this year. You could say it's because they wanted to try to get under the uh, first threshold for Otani next year, which they're not going to get under. But uh, they're going to go with a lot of young players. And the Yankees were unwilling to kind of like just dive in the pool and trade either kind of Falefa or Torres this offseason to assure that one of those two guys, either Peraza or Volpe, would certainly play, and maybe both of them would then therefore have the avenue. I think that is going to be a mistake by them as they have more trouble trading one of those players because the key thing with Volpe, I think, for them this spring training, John, was to just see, does he belong? You know, he hasn't played a ton. I, I think he only played 20-odd games or so at AAA. So they just wanted to see, does he belong? He clearly, in spring training, like throw out the numbers, which are good, he clearly looks like he belongs at a higher level right now. And think about his draft class. The guys who look like that are Adley Rushman, Bobby Witt Jr. The, the Diamondbacks just gave a long-term contract to Corbin Carroll. At some point, the Yankees can't just talk about the next group of players they have coming. They have to have faith and just say we're opening a spot for them, especially in a year where athleticism and, uh, you know, like de- uh, range on defense without shifts are going to matter. Like, just do it. John, I think we'd agree. Well, I don't want to put words in your mouth. At some point, the best starting infield of the Yankees is going to be Rizzo at first, Volpe at second, Peraza at short, and LeMayu at third. I think the quicker they get to it, the better they are. Volpe's been great at second. I mean, you know, I've only seen it in limited action, obviously, but he looked like he'll be a great second baseman. I've only seen him a bit at shortstop. Some people are questioning the arm. I think he still will be a good shortstop. Uh, He's hit a ton down here. So, I mean, to me, Volpe looks ready. Again, we got two weeks to go. So uh, I agree. Peraz at short, Volpe at second. Certainly Rizzo at first. I'm not quite giving up on Donaldson yet. I get why they didn't cut him. You know, he was very good defensively while he was booed a lot. He still had an OPS plus of, I think it was 93 or 94. So it was a little below average. His career is still 131. So, and he's still working at it. So I I get why Donaldson is the third baseman. The one thing I would maybe question a little bit that you said was that they decided not to trade Torres or IKF because they weren't sure about the kids. I I think they just didn't get much, you know, I mean, Torres is now making about $10 million. IKF got 6 million uh, through arbitration off of the year that he had. I can't imagine there's much trade value. I I would say it's almost nil. And 
you know, at one time, if they had traded Glaber Torres, uh, they would have gotten the moon, right? So it doesn't look good to trade trade him for basically nothing as a giveaway to get rid of the $10 million. So um, I just don't think they got the offers that they wanted to get. Yeah, John, I agree. It doesn't look good. This was the same strategy they used when they were trying to rekindle the value of Miguel Andujar and Clint Frazier and Gary Sanchez, and they ended up getting nothing for all of them. You know, at some point you have to, you know, stop being hard headed and put the best major league team on the field. And I don't think that they're, they're going to do that. If uh, look, I think Torres is a good player. And, we, you know, we don't want to be fooled by spring training on, on the subject of not being fooled by spring training. Let's flip to the other borough to Queens. Ronnie Maurizio, like uh, Jason Dominguez, as we're speaking, has four homers, which is tied with about 20 guys for the uh, spring lead. Uh, he has certainly shown his power from both sides. Brett Beatty has got over a thousand OPS. Uh, what do you think about these two guys? I mean, they look great. You know, you don't want to put too much stock in spring training. I just don't see where there's room for Beatty or Mauricio. You may, you may figure out something different unless they trade Escobar. We know the Marlins had shown interest. Well, now the Marlins have many, many infielders. They're not obviously happy with their infielders. They just signed Guriel and uh, Jose Iglesias. Uh they had asked about Escobar a couple times. I'm comfortable with Escobar third. I think he's good. I think he'll be better than he was last year. Obviously, he had some uh, personal issues last year going through a divorce, and I, I think he's a good player. But uh, you know, I I don't see a spot. Do you see? Do you see a way? I mean, Guillaume is also outstanding, particularly defensively at third base. Uh, it's funny to think now that uh, Correa was the guy they wanted to sign and actually had an agreement with because they're. They're, they're four deep at third base, uh, you know, assuming you think Beatty can handle it defensively because he certainly can hit. He's hitting around 500 in uh, in Florida. Do you see any way that they can find a room for Mauricio and, and Beatty on the major league level at this point? I, I'm not sure that there is room. Uh, you want them to be playing every day. Yeah, I, 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 when, I, when I spent my week in Metcamp, I asked a bunch of people this question, and we'll wrap up this, this segment uh, with this. If you gave 500 plate appearances in left field to Mark Hanna, Brett Beatty, or Ronnie Maurizio, who would be the all overall more productive player? I understand the Mets' desire not to move a player off of a premium position like shortstop or third base. But again, when you have a $700 trillion payroll or whatever exactly the Mets are, the idea is to win. And I just wonder if they need to bite the bullet even to begin the season. And one or both of those guys need to play some left field where you could realistically see them getting a lot of plate appearances, move them between left field and third base. Because if you're looking for lineup weaknesses, maybe it's Escobar, Canna, and those are places where they could get the at-bats. So I, it was something I was thinking about a lot when I was with them early on. Ronnie Maurizio is not going to be a shortstop. I this idea of keeping a guy there to build his value. Everybody knows what his value is in the sport. He plays some shortstop. It's not like if you play him someplace else, everyone's going to go, well, he's not a shortstop anymore. So I, I would just begin to move him around a lot in particular. And I would move Beatty around some just because it's what you might need in the major leagues. Yeah, I mean... Uh... They look great. Uh, I just think they want to give them some reps at the positions that they think they'll be playing at. And it's probably not the outfield. And you know, you could make a case they could have them DH some, but I think they want them to uh, improve defensively. And so I, I'm I'm just not seeing it. And I, I think most teams would do that. I, I'm with you. You want to win. And if you put them on the team somewhere, uh, you know, I think they produce more than – some of the guys who are uh, certainly the DH, right? I think either of those guys at DH would be 
probably better than Vogelbach, right? And certainly Ruff, who uh, I'm not sure they're going to get anything out of him at this point. So, I mean, it certainly would help the team, but in the big picture, I, I kind of get that one. I get why they're going to be sent down, likely. I, I, Volpe, I'm, I'm not sure what the justification would be. He he's, he looks like a clear major leaguer offensively and defensively, and uh, I'd like to see him at the major league level. And I think I think the guys in that clubhouse would like to see him there as well. Yeah, we don't know if Ronnie Maurizio or Anthony Volpe are going to play shortstop in the major leagues. We do know Carlos Correa is going to play shortstop in the major leagues. And we're going to ask about why Correa is back with the Twins. We'll ask about Joey Gallo. We'll ask about Josh Donaldson a lot more when Derek Falvey, the president of baseball operations, joins us next on the show with Joel Sherman and John Hayman. Back on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, and we're so pleased to be joined by the president of baseball operation of the Minnesota Twins, Derek Falvey. He's in his seventh season, uh, just beginning his seventh season with the Twins. And, uh, you know, I guess this is an early uh, birthday gift also, right? Your 40th birthday is this Sunday, and I know the thing you wanted to do the most was get the present of joining us on this podcast. Is that Accurate, Derek. Yeah, although I will say last year's birthday present, uh, the day we signed Carlos Correa, just exceeds it by a tiny bit. So I, no offense to you guys, but uh, that was a uh, that was a little bit ahead. Yeah. Um, excellent segue. I get to ask you uh, the first question, and why don't we start with what was just a huge story in the off season? Uh, I'm sure all our listeners know this, but for the Cliff Notes version. Uh, Carlos Correa signed with the San Francisco Giants for $350 million, uh, did not pass their physical, signed with the Mets for $315 million, did not pass their physical, and then came back to you guys on a six-year $200 million contract. Uh, Derek, why are you comfortable with this when two other organizations uh, did not think his lower right leg would, would probably withstand a long contract? Yeah, obviously, it's been well documented this offseason, the journey that Carlos was on and certainly the the, the navigating of that going back to last offseason for us uh, in spring training when we signed him last spring till now. I think the reality is, you know, what what was presented from those clubs and ultimately what we agreed to uh, were very different terms and structures. And I think all teams looked at it uh, differently. And ultimately, what we landed on with our six year term uh, and, and the ability to potentially grow that out uh, based on based on performance and what it looks like in health over time. Uh, was what made us comfortable. Additionally, we got to know Carlos really well. Uh, we know a lot about his work habits, work ethic. And when you're navigating a lot of these challenges in free agency, there's known risk and unknown risk in everything we do, uh, ultimately, and we have to navigate that. We felt we landed on a structure that worked well for Carlos, worked well for the twins, and hopefully allows us to, to, to match the goals that we're all looking for going forward. Yeah, I know there were a lot of highs and lows of this chase of Carlos, but could you give us, I guess, I'll borrow the Cliff Notes phrase, the Cliff Notes a version of uh, the highs and lows from the San Francisco to the Mets to you finally getting him. And also, could you explain, because it had been reported that you guys were around 10 years for 280, 285, and he ended up with a six years for 200 more per year, but fewer years. Is that because of the physical there or is did the market change? Obviously, with the two other key teams out of the market. Yeah, the Cliff Notes version uh, is even that, probably too long for this podcast, ultimately, with the way it went through the offseason. But I will tell you this, you know, Scott Boris, uh, Carlos's agent, and I stayed in touch through the process. Uh, the one kind of highlight for me, or low light at the time, was when he signed with San Francisco. I, I called him, I called Carlos that night about uh, 11 o'clock that night, and 
we talked for a few and I, I felt his emotional pull to Minnesota. I felt how connected he was to our group, to our players. He was still texting everybody. He was still staying in touch. I knew a part of his heart and a good part of his heart was still here. Ultimately, later, when I was able to have that other phone call back at the end of it all uh, to say, you're coming back, I could just feel that joy in his voice and how much he really loved being here. And ultimately, as you said, you know, we did have an initial structure on the board uh, that then changed based on new information that, that has been presented through this process. I think what that showed was a partnership between Carlos and his representatives, you know, Scott and us, to try and figure out where that overlap made sense. And ultimately, the term that we agreed to, we felt, was what made sense for us. Uh, and hopefully we'll grow over time. You know, Carlos has the ability uh, to continue to progress, to continue to stay healthy. We feel really good about that. Uh, and hopefully over the long term, he makes it back to those 10 years with us uh, in the way the contract is structured. I, I guess it should be said, Derek, he suffered this injury as a minor leaguer quite a while ago and has not had a significant uh, injured list stint because of the leg, I believe, during his career. And in the last three years has been a relatively healthy player, including for you, uh, last season, I think, played 136 games. Nevertheless, is part of this at all that you have to brace your boss's ownership? Hey, look, there could be a catastrophic end to this. This is the reality of this injury. Or does your medical group not believe that that's the possibility here? Yeah, you know, our medical group evaluated this. And I think what we're talking about, you know, what we're missing talking about to some degree are terms, right? And when you're talking about 13 years, 12 years and six years, there's a very different conversation to be had, right? For the organization, my job in my seat is to make sure I make ownership aware of all the risks that we know. Uh, and those, some of those are known, some of those are risks that are unknown as we go forward. Significant investments like this take a lot of time uh, to spend to understand the medical conversation, the performance conversation at the end of the day is critical here. And then ultimately what this player means to a franchise, you don't put uh, that kind of contract in front of somebody if you don't feel that person is the type of leader, the type of model, the type of everything you're looking for in your clubhouse and the way they go about their business that that helps other players grow and develop. So this was an investment in our organization, obviously in Carlos himself and for his family, but ultimately for the organization over the long term. And we felt like where we landed ultimately achieved all of those goals for the twins. We know there's risk in the future for everything we do. Uh, but that's something that we felt was really was really a good fit for where we are as an organization today. One one last one for me on Carlos. It seemed like there was a divergence of opinions about his ankle. Now he's, as Joel mentioned, uh, he's received no treatment. I think there was one little episode last year, and he didn't miss any games even then. Um, you know how confident are you that he'll be good for six years? And do you feel like? there's a pretty good chance he'll be good for that 10 years that you've kind of suggested it may end up being. Yeah. Well, the structure of our contract allows for that to grow. As you, as you said, John, there in terms of the options on the back end with, with club control and the ability to, to earn those with health over time and, and playing time, as you said, you know, over the last few years, he's been uh, very productive and, and, and healthy in that space. So we feel like it's something that we continue to monitor and manage just like we would with any player who's had any type of a risk along the way. But I think for us, you know, ultimately, we, we, we presented an offer at the front end of the offseason, new information that came to light through the course of the conversations with other clubs and, and certainly with our medical professionals as well. 
to try and find a place where we intersected. And we felt like this was one where in the overall investment in the player over time is what we're what we're looking forward to. And he's done everything we've asked him to do since he's been here. I think this guy's going to take really good care of himself. Derek, you uh, mentioned the birthday gift a year ago was Correa. Uh, it's a, when we're doing this, we're evergreen, of course, but it's a year and a day since uh, you fleeced, uh, traded with the Yankees and gave them uh, Josh Donaldson, Isaiah Kainafalefa, and Ben Rockford for uh, Gio Ishella and uh, Gary Sanchez. Uh, I assume Correa is not possible either year if Donaldson is on your books. Uh, maybe you could speak to that. And did you think of this as a great escape when you got out of Josh Donaldson? You know, looking back a year, uh, that was such a blur on so many levels. I think, you know, coming right out of the lockout, which was right around now, as I you know, remember, and sitting in this office that I was in right now with on my board on the wall, every present free agent, which was a good number of them at that time uh, because of the uniqueness of the offseason. We were just moving and moving and trying to make our team better. And ultimately, that led to us trading for a Sonny Gray, uh, you know, right from the get-go and giving ourselves a chance to add to our pitching staff, make some other adjustments. And ultimately, when we made that trade, uh, it gave us an opportunity after we had traded uh, Mitch Garver away. Um, we were trying to find ways to backfill, find other conversations. Mitch Garver went to, to Texas in a deal, and we ultimately were looking for catching. And when we matched up a little bit more with – with New York on a few fronts, it gave us a chance to, to achieve something that allowed us some flexibility to the future, maybe more short-term uh, value and impact the other way. And ultimately with, with Brian and, and with Cash, we worked through what we thought was best on both sides of this. Ultimately, would Carlos have been uh, available to us or would that have worked? I don't know. I mean, I will say this, our ownership has supported every investment we've made. Ultimately, you know, having that flexibility both last year and ultimately this year just gave us a way to repurpose those dollars. But we felt like hopefully those trades make a lot of sense for both clubs, given the now and the future and creating some flexibility for us. Uh, and hopefully that's that's true for the future as well. Just to follow up on uh, Donaldson, uh, that trade obviously to this point has not really worked for the Yankees. And um, I'm wondering what your motivation was. I, I, it does seem like, I know Joel used the term fleece, but I would say you did save a significant amount of money. That was part of the motivation. You know, Donaldson's an interesting character. Uh, I happen to like him very much just because he gives great quotes and uh, spoke to him in spring training. Joel's had some interesting moments with him. And, you know, he's he's a polarizing figure. Um, you know, the the kind of suggestion was that he didn't get along that great with some people with the twins. Uh, was that part of your motivation or was it mostly about the dollars? Uh, and, you know, and did you foresee Donaldson was actually good for you guys on the field? I think 127 OPS plus 93 for the Yankees. Did you, you know, obviously he's getting older. Did you foresee this kind of fallback in his, in his, uh, production you know you know what you said john about about josh we invested in josh on the front end and i still feel this way for the years he was here you just mentioned it he was highly productive for us and i think josh brings the tenacity and an edge to the game that i think we we benefited from uh during his time here in minnesota ultimately for us as we continue to continue to look at our roster and invest over time obviously when you're thinking about contracts in the long term and how they how they impact players as they age and otherwise it comes into the equation well, we felt strongly. We thought Josh was continuing to invest in himself, uh, continuing to keep his body in good shape and, and go out there and perform. He plays good defense over at third base. I think that's an underrated aspect of, of what he brings to the game. So it wasn't necessarily an easy trade for us, but ultimately when Kiner Falefa, who was part of that trade and ultimately went to New York, I mean, there were a lot of moving parts at that time. We just felt like for our team in that moment, there were ways for us to, to flex 
our roster in a way that gave us maybe more flexibility in the future with where we were at that moment in time. Ultimately, we feel like we hope that works out on both sides over time. And I still have a lot of belief and faith in Josh. I'm, I'm, I'm betting on him having a pretty good year. I've learned over 30 years, uh, Derek, that when people use terms like tenacity and edge, they actually mean something else. I want to ask you about something, uh, another player in that trade. Uh, Gary Sanchez is an unsigned player. As we're speaking here, he's uh, playing for the DR in the World Baseball Classic. Has he fallen off the cliff so much, did you find, last year that he is not a useful player in the major leagues? I, I wouldn't say that about Gary at all. I mean, our, our view of Gary, and certainly we got a chance to see him because the Dominican Republic played over here before they went off to the World Baseball Classic and trained here in Fort Myers with us. And I saw Gary for a few days. He's a great kid wants to continue to grow and get better. I felt like last year for us, he really did a nice job with our group, spent some time uh, navigating all of the all of the challenges of going to a new team for the first time in his career. I think he, he worked really well with our coaches and our staff. Um, ultimately, decisions have to be made through the course of the offseason around you know what a player is seeking in terms of length and dollars and what that looks like. Uh, he hasn't found a, a match on that yet, but I still think Gary has uh, certainly major league caliber games ahead of them. And I, I would anticipate maybe at the conclusion of the WBC or, or sometime during it, that there'll be an opportunity for him here in the, at, with a major league club. You have a lot of New York connected players. So I want to ask you about uh, Joey Gallo next. Obviously you took him on a one-year deal. Uh, he didn't really deal well with New York. Uh, certainly there was a lot of booing with all the strikeouts and the batting average well below 200. He was sent to the Dodgers did a little bit better there, but not that much. Do you have faith that being in a, you know, obviously was in the top two markets, that the market change uh, will be beneficial to him? I, I heard that he grew a beard. I didn't go down to Fort Myers yesterday for the game, but uh, sources tell me that he, he did do that. And, um, you know, will the quote-unquote, Minnesota nice, play well for him. Uh, is that going to make the difference for Joey Gallo? Yeah, I can confirm he did grow a beard, and uh, it's, <laughs> it's quite something. Uh, no, he's been fantastic since we got him here. You know, we signed him earlier on in the offseason, uh, right after Christian Vasquez. I remember we brought Joey in, and and Joey's someone who we, we, we're betting on that upside. Certainly, we know just a few short years ago, this guy was playing at the top of his game. He's one of the better players uh, in the American League. He's still young. Uh, we still think he has that. Certainly things didn't go as well. He'd be the first to admit you know, that things didn't go as well there. I remember talking to some Yankees folks about it, and people said uh, he he was always owning every day, never you know, always wanted to go out there and play. Even through the tough times, he was there to face it. And I think that that, that just shows you know how much this guy – wants to go out, continue to get better. When we signed him, we got a chance to get him with our hitting coaches, spend some time, evaluate some things, maybe make some small adjustments that are best done in the offseason. And hopefully we're seeing that, that going forward. We think he fits really well. Obviously he plays good defense in the outfield. He's played a lot of first base for us this spring and looks really comfortable over there and has played that in his past. So we think this guy has is, is ripe for a, a rebound year and hopefully gives us a chance to have an impact bat right in the middle of our lineup. You know, you mentioned before that term of contract matters a lot when we were discussing Correa. Uh, you did a very similar kind of deal for less money, I think exactly half, for Byron Buxton, who's another player who, when he's on the field, is spectacular, but just can't stay on the field. They think he started over 92 games just once in his career. Uh, he's coming back from, I, th I think, a second orthoscopic uh, knee surgery, I think, on his left knee. Can you give us an update where he is? And do you still think there's a 140-game 
consistent great player in him or this is just the reality of who he is well Joel you said it this guy is tremendous when he's on the field and, and healthy and we know uh, with Carlos and with with Byron on the field those are two premium players in the game surrounded by what we hope is a lot of really good players in depth to our team uh, but ultimately we know Byron makes us tick on so many levels and you know you mentioned last year he had 92 more than 92 only one season prior well, 92 came last year, and that was the high watermark for the last few seasons. We hopefully are, are marching in the right direction on this one. We're very attentive to, to his to his care, uh, to how we play him. Obviously, he's dealt with some things up until last year, mostly an acute issue, you know, a moment where he broke his hand or, or fouled the ball off his foot and broke his foot. We're hopeful that we can get on track in a good direction here. Uh, he's, he's tracking well, hopefully tracking ultimately toward opening day. We acquired Michael A. Taylor from the Royals, who's a gold glove center fielder who can play every day out there. That hopefully gives us a chance maybe to some days to say Byron's going to go DH for a stretch of time. And then it gives Michael a chance to go play some some above average defense for us out in the outfield. So we hope we are surrounding Byron with the type of pieces that will keep him on the field through the course of the year because he's a game changing player when he's on it for us. You know, I'm making my predictions now, and uh, you came up with the then Indians, now Guardians. Explain to me how they keep doing it. Uh, you were there for a long time, now a competitor of theirs. Um, I, I always pick uh, either the Twins or the White Sox, and you, you guys have come through on occasion, but it's shocking to me with the <clears throat> the personnel that the Guardians have that they keep winning. What What is their secret? Yeah, I mean, well, seven years out from there, I still have, you know, those are roots for me that helped grow me in the game. And so I have a tremendous amount of admiration and respect uh, for leadership there, you know, starting back with Mark Shapiro when he was, when I first started there, ultimately what Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff were able to do uh, from, a, from a leadership standpoint, those are two mentors of mine in the game uh, and ultimately continue to grow that organization. And then, you know, you, you can't uh, not talk about Tito and the impact that he can make in the dugout and the leader that he is and the way he gets young players to continue to believe in themselves. And I think last year, that's what we saw. That was a young team that was growing, that was maturing. Give them a ton of credit. They went out and performed. They've had great players at the top of their roster. Ultimately, they've stayed really healthy, and I think that's really been a credit to them over the last couple of seasons. But they are they are a good team. And until they won the division last year, they're the favorites. They should walk in that way as, as they should. We have to do our work to go climb back and compete with them, uh, and we feel like we hope we can do that. But they're a great organization top to bottom. Uh, and I, I still have a lot of admiration and respect for what they do. Derek, I have messy notes. I think I gave uh, Byron Buxton a second uh, knee surgery when I think it's only one because I wanted to ask you about Royce Lewis, who has actually, I believe, had two uh, ACL surgeries. He was first pick in 2017 overall in the draft. Uh, he looked like a real player for the brief period he was with you last year. You've obviously signed someone who's going to play his position long term, which is shortstop. Can you give us, I think it's not until midseason he might be able to come back, but some idea of what his rehab has looked like and what his projection looks like, where on the field and what kind of player after essentially not playing a lot of baseball these last few years. Yeah, it's been a really hard run for, for Royce. You know, we took him, as you said, in 17 at the top of the draft, really excited about his growth and development as a young player. He was pretty raw then. You know, he, he was an athlete who was still learning the game and growing. But we really saw signs of that growth, obviously, during the COVID year and, and some of the time down just for all minor leaguers. That hurt some of his development. But at our secondary site that season, we saw really good signs of his growth and development. Ultimately, last year was devastating for us, probably as sick to my stomach as I've been uh, in my career at a major league level because of just seeing him have to go through that again and ultimately have the second unfortunate ACL tear. 
The good news is that it's fully repaired. He's recovering well. I think the athleticism and the way he works, you're already seeing it now in his rehab. He will not come back until the second half of the year. That's all That's all part of the plan, that 12 to 13-month recovery on an on a ACL tear always. I will say this. He continues to progress, keep his body in shape and in, in a good spot. We expect him to play somewhere in the dirt, up the middle. Certainly, he can play shortstop. As we know, Carlos is here, too. Uh, if we have Royce Lewis, Brooks Lee, uh, our first-round pick from last year, and then Carlos Correa all have the ability to play shortstop and maybe play some other spots in the infield, that's going to be a good good problem for us to deal with. So we'll continue to develop him at that position up the middle and hopefully get him back sometime in the second half because we do still see a tremendous amount of upside in him as a player over the long term. Yeah, you know, uh, I love some of the moves you made this winter. I, the Arise trade, I know he won the batting title, but to get Pablo Lopez, who looked good in the WBC, then Jose Salas, who's beloved as a prospect, I think that the moves were really good this winter. I know that probably coming off of last year, people will pick the Guardians or with the roster, the White Sox. But where, where, what are the expectations for the Twins this year? What, what, what do you, where do you think you stand in that division? Well, I think we're, we're hopefully competing right in the middle of that. We know those two rosters are really good. As I mentioned earlier, Cleveland won it last year, and they, they deserve all the credit they got for that, and they, they walk in that way. We felt, like you just said, the White Sox, that roster, you know, much like us, dealt with some health challenges through the course of the year and, and, and got really tough on them, too, and maybe didn't perform to their expectations walking into the season. As you said, we made some, some difficult trades along the way to hopefully make us better, but adding Pablo to a rotation that now has Sonny Gray, Tyler Malley, Kenta Maeda, Joe Ryan, and others, we feel this is the deepest group we've had in a long time. Joan Duran, Jorge Lopez, Caleb Fieldbar, guys pitching toward the back end of our bullpen that have been a really good spot. And then you know, we made some depth trades. I mentioned make Michael Taylor earlier, but to add a Kyle Farmer, guy who's played every day at shortstop that can go play multiple positions in the infield, to add Christian Vasquez, we haven't talked about and the leadership he brings behind the plate uh, to team up with a guy like Ryan Jeffers, who's a young kid coming along as a catcher. Hopefully our roster is deeper and, and the ability to withstand the natural challenges through the course of 162 games. But we expect and hope we're going to go into this competing and hopefully we put ourselves in a position to win our division uh, and, and, and then go into October. You know, Derek, I wonder if I could uh, wrap it up by essentially doubling down on that question. I think it could be forgotten uh, at some point during the season. I, I, I went, look, August 6th, you're 57 and 50 and you're up two games in your division. And you go 21 and 34 the rest of the way. It's the third worst record in your league. And you finish 14 games out. That's the 16-game swing in about a month and a half. When you did an autopsy at the end of the season, were you comfortable why that happened and what was addressed in the offseason so that it doesn't happen again? Yeah, Joel, uh, comfortable is not the right word by any means as to how I felt at the end of it. But I will tell you that we walked through it, and it was really unfortunate September for us. At one point, I remember looking out and seeing – one player from our opening day roster playing on the field that day. Uh, and that's all we had available from the opening day roster. And we were playing some of the premium teams you know, in our division, but also across baseball and watching that happen. That was a challenge. Uh, we don't use it as an excuse, though. Our, our view is we have to find a way to stay healthy. We have to find a way to keep those players in the field. We have made some changes on that side of the game and, and invested in the medical space. And also the depth piece, as I just mentioned, you know, when you go through those and you're pulling up young players, the one silver lining to that period of time was having a having young kids like Louis Varlin and Simeon Woods Richardson get get some innings under their belt at the end of the season. That should help us over time. Seeing Nick Gordon emerge as a guy that could find a way uh, to be an extra player for us and play a bunch of spots, but get all those plate appearances. That was the benefit of of September. But that was probably the only benefit because we just didn't have the healthy roster. And ultimately, we're playing a, a, a little bit behind. And hopefully, we're in a better position this year, not just at the start, but 
all the way through September to put ourselves in a position to compete for the division. You know, I wonder if I could just throw in one uh, bonus question here, just because you mentioned depth and I want to be timely with what's going on, which is the World Baseball Classic. One of your guys on a minor league contract, right? Jose De Leon threw five and two third perfect innings against Israel as we speak. That was yesterday. I understand he's not facing uh, the Toronto Blue Jays or the New York Yankees, but does that make the president of baseball operations of the Minnesota Twins go, hmm, do we have some more depth there? Yeah, I mean, the last two nights, watch. I've got a chance to watch both of our guys go, and Pablo Lopez, who threw really well a couple nights ago against Puerto Rico, and then ultimately what Jose did last night was was <laughs> as exceptional, which is crazy to say, given how we felt about Pablo. But, you know, he's a guy that we've targeted uh, for a little bit of time now and, and felt like we had some some ways to help him along the way. Health has been a bit of a challenge for him on, along the way in his career, but he's healthy now. As we saw last night, this guy has pitches, ability. Uh, we're really excited about what Jose can potentially bring to our club this year, uh, whether it's out of the bullpen or in the rotation through the course of the season. Well, Derek, uh, John and I do appreciate you joining us. Uh, I hope you do have a great birthday uh, this weekend and uh, a terrific season. Again, thanks for joining us on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman. Always great to be out with you guys. Have a great day. John, as we speak, uh, about two weeks to the season opener, let's play hit or error for one of the last times of spring training. What do you got? I'll give a hit to uh, Jason Dominguez and uh, the Yankees for signing him. He looks like a big star, but of the future, 20 years old. Certainly does not look like the kid who hit one something in the Arizona Fall League and has only played uh, five games above Class A. Uh Yankee fans need to hold on. He's not going to be the center fielder to start the season. At least I don't think so. He shouldn't be. But this kid is going to be a big star at the major league level. I'm going to give an error to everyone who's whining about what the U.S. pitching looks like in the World Baseball Classic. Every team is down a lot of uh, players. Uh, Mexico's pitching, which nobody will say was an all-star lineup, pretty much held them down in the game. The U.S. lost to Mexico Shut up and stop whining and play. It's single elimination. Figure it out. Use nine relief pitchers, whatever you have to do. Uh, whining should be out. That uh, Americans should be above whining. Uh, but Americans should be listening to the show every week. Right, John? Uh, it's a podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Andrew Hart for helping navigate us through this show as always. He's terrific. Uh, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. I'll work on saying the word subscribe better next week. Uh, and of course, uh, this this show drops on the Yes app about noon every Wednesday. Uh, please give that a view. And please join us every week on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman.